Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Ecuador Insider Podcast. I'm Jesse Bayer, joined as always by Darnell Dunn. Uh, I'm coming to you from Loja, Ecuador, here on Monday, April 24th, 2017. Darnell is down in Cuenca. Um, and uh, we're just about a couple of weeks out from the election, so we'll definitely get into that tonight. But uh, what's up, Darnell? How are you? How's, uh, how are you feeling post-election? Uh, well, we'll get into that in the show, I'm sure. Um, but uh, disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> and how's um, how's the weather been in Cuenca the last couple of weeks? Have has it started to get cold there at all, or not yet? Yeah, it's been been a little chilly, but fortunately, I was able to make it down in Aloha this weekend uh, to enjoy the weather and uh, see some friends, uh, get some work done. So that was nice. Yeah. Um. Great. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, we haven't recorded a show since the election, the election here or the runoff election. The final election was on April 2nd. We should definitely touch on that um, for a few minutes. It's funny, though, getting into a topic like that. Like I, um, you know, I'm trying to grow our presence on, you know, basically all things social media. And I've been taking, uh, you know, making a lot of YouTube videos and things like that. And, um, you know, I took the opportunity with the election to make a couple of videos about the election. And, and you know they actually got you know there was some they got some interest and in, uh, you know some people liked them of course but it's it's funny it's just so funny when you wade into politics how visceral and just how strong people's reactions are and it's so it's so clear to me from having made those videos and even some of our react some of the reactions we get to these podcasts why so many business people and corporations and you know people who are on television you know entertainers try to stay away from politics and just not address it at all because you can't say anything without pissing off like half the people <laughs> and um at least. at least yeah right at least and so um you know it's it's just funny i mean i i feel like um i don't know how to address these things without addressing them so we'll do so but um, you know, and and everybody's free to their you know to their own uh, reactions. I think you know our only job is to try to you know give you our perspective on on Ecuador and and when it's about politics, it's about politics. But I certainly go in with the knowledge that um, a lot of people <laughs> get really upset when you give your opinion on politics. So uh, with that said, unfortunately yeah. or fortunately, um, you know I can't give anybody else's perspective but my own. Neither can you. So yeah, right, and and just you know, for people who are out there who who very much disagree with you know my opinion or your opinion or our opinion, um, you know, I just I just want you to be aware, and this probably goes without saying. It's probably silly to say this, but I just want you know you to be aware. It has nothing to do with our work. You know, I mean, you could be a you know an orange uh, lizard, and I would uh, treat you well and help you accomplish your goals and and help you you know do what you're doing. Um, you know, that's my job, and we take that very seriously when we're talking with politics about politics you know it's for entertainment it's for the show and it's it's um it's an important thing to be aware of if you're moving here whatever side of things you know you're you sort of uh view the world from or whatever political you know side of, uh, side of things you you uh you know you look at things so enough prefacing um go ahead well hang on well one thing i'll just add to that um just i feel like weighing in on it yeah please i mean that's yeah i mean that's just people look at politics like a belief, you know, almost like a religion in a sort of way. And so to say to somebody, you know, hey, you know, I might not relate to you on this thing that, you know, you think is really important, but I can certainly help you. 
very few people would take you up on that. <laughs> well, that's unfortunate. Well, maybe we should we change the subject? <laughs> Never mind. Show's canceled. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, but, you know, we did have an election and we do need to talk about it. So um, we had, you know, runoff election on April 2nd. I'm not going to recap again, you know, who were the candidates and all that. Um, if you're paying any attention either to Ecuador or our show, you know, you're aware of that already. But um, Lenin Moreno. No one's mm -hmm. aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, chief, you're taking chief shots at us. <laughs> um, so let you know. go ahead. <laughs> no, you know, sometimes you just have to, you know, you have to laugh instead of cry, Jesse. <laughs> um, okay, I mean, I you know, I don't know. I'll leave you. On, I'll leave you. On, you're on your own on that one. <laughs> but um, so. Lenin Moreno, who was the Alianza País candidate, the, the party of uh, Rafael Correa, ultimately won the election. Um, you know, I think, I think we do need to at least just mention to people it was a very controversial victory, and that's about as politically correct a way of to put it as I can. Um, the, the, there was, you know, several babies. <laughs> there was many uh, irregularities with the uh, voting in the election process. Um, we had really, really uh, strong protests for um, you know a week or two weeks following the election. We had a, a partial recount. Um, we had lots of paperwork filed, um, you know, protesting fraud, claiming fraud. We had examples of fraud. We had, I mean, we had the vice president, the opposition vice presidential candidate, you know, on television holding up his proof of fraud um we had you know we and we could certainly get into all that i don't know at this point you know i'm kind of like i have sort of election fatigue i've moved on you know it's we're over two weeks later here or, or yeah almost three weeks really three weeks later here i've accepted um you know defeat <laughs> and uh and moved on and you know you've got a that's kind of way life goes right you, you can only control the things you can control um well especially but, when you know all, all I needed to hear is that the international community came out and recognized Lenin Moreno as the new president of Ecuador. So <laughs> which, that's good enough. Which they did within about 30 seconds, which was funny. Um, but, but just to give, you know, we have a very, very brief recap. So somewhere around in Darnell, I know you're like not a social media guy. I don't know if you're paying attention to any of this stuff or not. But somewhere around like 5 p.m., um, and this was on Sunday, the whole the election here on, it was on Sunday, April 2nd. Somewhere around 5 p.m., the, uh, the first set of, exit polls came out and it was from um Seidatos, which is like the oldest and most respected polling age company um that does polling here and they had they had lasso with a six point lead and uh the margin of error was like two and a half percent and then some of uh some government sponsored exit polls came out which I think there was one of or two of that had uh I think one actually that had Moreno winning and then another three or so um, private exit polls came out that all had Lasso with like a comfortable victory, like all of them were outside of the margin of error. So the country, the country, uh, the people obviously who supported Lasso, the country started to celebrate. I mean, there's public celebrations going on between, uh, say, 5 and 6 p.m. Uh, in Ecuador for Lasso's victory, um, or no, really later than that, actually. And then somewhere in the evening, uh, maybe around 8 o'clock or something, um, they just announced that, you know, Moreno had won. <laughs> so, um, again, we can get into all the details of that and all the fraud, but it'll take too long. And I don't think there's any point, but, um, 
ultimately Lenin Moreno is president, uh, fraudulently or not. And uh, that's where we stand, and we got to talk about you know what that means for the country. Um, Darnell, do you want to talk a little bit about the election before we jump into sort of where things stand for the Ecuador, for the future, for the e economy, or do you want to get right into that? Yeah, let's get right into that. I mean, I think you you know you recapped it well. That's where we stand. So you know, I think you know, being that we're you know two and a half, three weeks out, the conversation really should shift to where do where do we go from here? Yeah. Okay, great. So, I mean, why don't we start then with your opinion? Um, what, why don't you just, you know, give people an overview or take it wherever you want to take it, but, you know, just give people an overview of your thoughts of, you know, maybe where Ecuador stands and, and, and in, you know, as that relates, obviously, to, to the political environment. Yeah, sure, Jesse. Well, you know, I look at it really as, you know, in, in the following way, you've got a, a country that has relied primarily on oil prices, you know, throughout the you know, I guess what you call the economic stability of the last 10 years and mm -hmm. political stability as well, too, under the current regime of Rafael Correa. And, you know, that's been done mostly from a lot of public spending, um, you know, on roads, all kinds of infrastructure, schools, hospitals, airports, seaports, those kinds of things. And so um, with oil being down pretty significantly from from its height, you know, in 2008, 2009, 2010 uh, to now, you have uh, you're starting to see Ecuador looking for ways to fill the funding gaps. Um, you know, most recently uh, there's an article from Nasdaq about Ecuador going to meet with fixed income investors. Uh, so they were doing a roadshow. They headed to to um, to Boston a couple weeks back, as well as Los Angeles, San Francisco, London, in New York City, um, to try to you know. Uh, raise uh, money in the international bond market to be able to, to fulfill some of these promises of, of, um, that the government has fulfilled. So I think you know, that's certainly something that you're going to see, you know, Ecuador uh, increasing the amount of debt that's outstanding debt. I think you'll also see um, you know, continued, you know, at least how it relates to the real estate market, which is I think why a lot of people are listening to, to us, is um, – I think you're just seeing a situation where there's not a lot of liquidity and now people are sort of waiting to see what happens with the elections now that you know there's more clarity about that and we know that we're going to have more continuity going forward. I think a lot of people are looking at it and saying, okay, well now I'm going to put my property on the market um, because there's not a lot of liquidity in the country. And I think you're going to also see a lot of people who had their properties on the market before. I think you're going to see some of those prices stay the same or even go lower from here. Um, I also have a, a good friend of mine who's, whose property we sold maybe about a year and a half ago. Um, he is also on the board of a local uh, cooperative bank. And he was telling me uh, when we saw each other a couple of weeks ago but that they're absolutely flush with cash. Mm -hmm. um, but there's no one, yeah, no one who wants, to, wants borrow to take on loans yep. and actually – they had two really large loans that they had approved before the election. And uh, after the election results, uh, those people both decided to not take out the loans ultimately. So um, that's yeah. a little bit of the, the sentiment out there from what I've seen over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. There's a lot of places I could go with that. But I think uh, I'll ask a question instead. What do you, sure. what do you view as the outlook for 
um, for the economy, for, uh, you know, you're a business person here, obviously this affects you, you know, what, how, how are you making plans for, uh, the future in Ecuador? What do you see as, um, you know, the, the, the climate here economically for at least the next, you know, year or two? Um, some, sometimes it can be uh, hard mean, to, you know, uh, to forecast beyond that. Yeah, sure. Uh, no, that's a really good question. <laughs> Uh, I would say the following. I mean, for real estate, I think that, you know, in a flat to falling market, I think that a lot of people who are considering coming to Ecuador, you know, people like ourselves that came here from another country, I think in the end it doesn't really make a whole lot of difference, um, you know, depending on what you're coming here to do. I think if you're if you're thinking about coming here and starting a business, I think you have to be selective about the kinds of businesses that you would want to be involved in. You know, I know in particular for real estate for us, you know, with a 75% um capital gains tax, that you know has a lot of implications for somebody who wants to get involved in real estate per se or somebody who's looking to make uh a real estate investment. Now, you know, if you're looking to flip a property in that market, I don't know how much sense that makes. But if you're going to be involved in some kind of, you know, you're purchasing real estate to make an investment for something that's going to, you know, produce an income stream over time where you're not really thinking about, okay, well, to get my money back or to, you know, break even, I've got to sell this property over the next three to five years you know, then there's, you know, still definitely a lot of opportunities here in Ecuador. But yeah, I mean, I think if you're looking at specifically with real estate and um, some potential spillover effects that you could see from that, I think for the next three to five years, you know, I think you're looking at a, you know, at, at economic growth, I don't know, somewhere around, you know, one to 2%, mm -hmm. um, you know, like we saw in the last quarter. So, yeah. There's um God. There's there's so many things you touched on. I have opinions on, but maybe just taking some of this last stuff. Um, just to be clear for people out there about the capital gains real estate tax, the way that it's calculated is in such a way that it's not the way we would uh, be accustomed to in the states or elsewhere. So, for example, in the states, you know, you you factor in your cost basis versus your sale price. And, you know, more or less, you've got your cap gains. Whereas here, um, here, your cost basis is a much more convoluted uh, thing. And, and then they've got your, you've, they've got exemptions and they've got yearly uh, adjustments for inflation and for, quote, profit and these sorts of things. So it's not as simple as, as that. In fact, flipping properties, um, and I'll, I'll disagree with you slightly on this, flipping properties actually can be great because the when you're factoring in the cost basis as the assessed value which is the way that um, and I don't want to get too specific on this because there's a lot of ways in which this can there's a lot of case, it's case by case this can be true or not true depending on the specific the specific parameters of the purchase and sale but the cost basis generally speaking is it can be, uh, you, you can use the assessed value of a property. So as long as when you're selling it, the assessed value of the property hasn't changed, which if you're flipping it is almost 0% chance that it would have changed, you know, all that profit would be unrecorded. Um, 
So anyways, the only point I'm trying to make is it's not as simple as there's a 75% capital gains tax. There's a lot of, there's a lot of loopholes and caveats to that. Um, as far as, you know, as far as the economy and banks and lending, you know, one thing that you said that really jumps out at me, and then I want to get maybe give two seconds on, you know, where things stand and, and, and moving forward, which largely I basically agree with you on. One of the interesting things that these last couple of years or several years in Ecuador have really revealed for me is something that I had studied at length, you know, in the States prior to moving here. But, and I would say this in general about everything, about Ecuador, things in Ecuador are just much more on display. They're much less hidden. It's a, it's a really small country. You know, it's a country where it's just, it's just a very small scale. It's a very small stage. So um, things are, and it's not a complicated I would, I would argue uh, it's not a complicated culture, society. I mean, it has its nuances for sure, but it's, it's not. Lots of nuances, but fairly simple. And I say yeah. that in the least Yeah, not a derogatory way, way at all, yeah. Um, and so, you know, if you look at how the economy is um, at the mercy of or controlled by uh, or more, more, more accurately levered to the money supply. I've seen that in Ecuador in such a clear-cut, firsthand way. So you mentioned that banks are flush with cash, but they have nobody to borrow the money. And that's I'm, you know, I know a lot of people here who have given me that same information, um, including inside the banks. It's it's actually a great time to get a loan. Um, in fact, a bank told me, you know, I can get a, a, a huge loan for this project I want to do if I want to do it. And just anecdotally, two sales or three sales that I had pending uh, that were supposed to close right after the election, all three uh, uh, fell through because of the election results. Just getting back to that point you made. I'm um, sorry, I'm getting a little wieldy here in this, but the, uh, or unwieldy, excuse me. But what I want, the point I wanted to make is I've, when we got here in July of 2013, um, we got here at the tail end of an economic uh, boom period. So th things had been good. We had really good years, um, basically from the early early 2000s uh, through, you could argue, through 2014, but really through 2013. 2014 was flat. Um, so we had uh, we had and and what we were seeing during that time was a credit expansion, and so you saw you know credit was becoming more and more available, the money supply was increasing, and therefore the economy was good and asset prices were rising. Right, uh, right at the, you know, I don't know, I don't, you might remember, Darnell, whatever it was exactly, but at some point towards the end of 2014 or the beginning of 2015, the banks reined in credit. And we, you know, they described it as a crisis. And we went through uh, all of 2015 and the vast majority of 2016 in a in a pretty bad economic state way uh, here in Ecuador. And that was the beginning of 2015. Uh, people were yeah, right. About it towards the end of 2014, but it was like 2015 hit, and it was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but I'm just talking like when the banks stopped lending. But yeah, it might have been exactly when you're saying, yeah. So, so the beginning of 2015, so, um, and, and it's it just became so crystal clear to me in a first hand way, something I already understood uh, in, in an academic way, 
how the money supply controls the economy and asset prices, period. And so the bank stopped lending, the money supply was shrinking, the economy was in a tailspin, asset prices were falling, and then what happened at the end of 2016? The bank started lending again. What happened to the economy and asset prices? They, they recovered. So we now, you know, we're now in a pretty good time. I would, I would argue, you know, sales have been good for us. Real estate prices are have rebounded a bit, um, at least in in the market I'm in over the last, you know, several months, and that's coincided exactly with what you were talking about with the banks. The banks are flush with cash and lending. Um, so that's very interesting from my perspective. And I would, yeah, you know, I'd encourage anybody out there who's interested in that topic. If, if you don't want to research it, just take five minutes and, and compare a chart of the money supply to a chart of real estate prices and a chart of the stock market. And you'll realize that they're essentially the same chart. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's super interesting to me. And then, yeah, I agree with you. I think, I think the economy sort of goes on as is. And I think that's kind of what we were talking about before the election a bit as well. Um, obviously we could, you know, worst case scenario could be pretty ugly, but that would be years down the line. I think at least for the foreseeable future, you know, we carry on as we have. Yeah. Agreed, my friend. Um, yeah. So, and then, yeah, I mean, I guess, I don't know, just maybe jumping on, you mentioned briefly about, uh, you know, businesses and, and what business, what businesses, uh, are, in, are, you know, are recommended or worthwhile here in Ecuador. And the only point, the only thing I want to make, the only point I want to make on that, um, and I, I tell this to clients, you know, when they call me, is you just need to take your time here uh, as it relates to business because I can't stress to you enough how different it is. Um, I think, and I think the two points that stand out to me most strongly <clears throat> on that is, the cultural differences and how that affects business and how price conscious people are. And I think, you know, without getting into a really long conversation on it, I think the way that that affects things the most is that number one, you have to be damn, damn sure that the market, that the market is there at the price that you need it to be, to be profitable um, for your numbers to work. And then number two, the, the cultural stuff, just cannot be underestimated. I mean, I think, you know, we like dive, dove in blind and like did it and like, you know, we did it, but it, we like, we took a lot of lumps, like a lot, <laughs> you know, fi figuring it out. And I don't think you can, I think Darnell, you know, we were talking about this before. I don't think you can really put it to words. I mean, obviously you can talk about stuff and we've written blogs and we've talked about this in the past. You know, there's a YouTube video I made on it. We can talk about what the cultural differences are, but ultimately it's just time. Ultimately, it's just time figuring it out, and that can really affect business because you can offend people. You don't have the social connections that people are going to frequent your business because they don't know you, and that's like a big thing here. There's just a lot. So I would just say to people, business-wise, unless you're talking about a large enterprise, like you know, you want to you want to buy a shrimp farm or you want to export cacao, that's easier. That you that's there's a model for that you can do. But if you're talking about like launching a business that you need to sort of figure it out you're bringing some new good or new a new good good or service to the market take your time take your time and really do your market research and figure out the culture before you kind of dive in and lose all your money <laughs> yeah right yeah like yeah it's yeah i think you you summed it up really well i mean in the in uh you know that kind of in industry versus a client facing business because yeah 
in, in an industry that's just a different dynamic. Um, it's not as social, Correct. Uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, so yeah, I mean, to, to your point, we could talk about the, you know, the social differences from our perspective with, you know, based on our experience, you know, we can next 30 shows just on that topic. Um, yeah, and it wouldn't yeah. do anyone any good, <laughs> ultimately, because <laughs> you have to figure it out yourself. Like, exactly. It's like you know, it's like learning. It's like learning how to build televisions. Like you know, it's, it's not you're not gonna, you know you have to you have to build the television. Then you know how to build it. <laughs> um, maybe that's a, a silly example, but yeah. Um, and I mean, I think the only other thing I would say about the economy and Ecuador future and those sorts of things is. What we're also going to see, and actually there was an interesting article in El Universo, a newspaper here, um, where, where like a businessman was giving his advice about like how to how to continue in Ecuador under the under the, the current uh, administration, and and um, you know we're going to see we're going to see a continued trend in Ecuador of very little international investment uh, with the with the election of Moreno. So. You can't really, I mean, it's interesting because it creates opportunities because there's not a lot of competition, but it's also, it's also, uh, you can't count on that market being there or that infrastructure being there, or the, you know, where you can, where if you're, you know, where that investment capital is flooding in and then you've got all those industries supporting them and you've got the infrastructure, you know, that, that's going to continue to be, you know, uh, low, <laughs> um, and in fact, I mean, we were talking about this in a joking way earlier, but a lot of that infrastructure in a certain way is retrenching. You know, there was an article uh, from Cuenca High Life the other day talking about how Tame, the government airline that has a monopoly on most of the routes within Ecuador, is now canceling uh, or was, go <laughs> was going to cancel a route from Cuenca, the third largest city in the country, to Guayaquil, the first you know, the, the largest. largest city in the country and really the economic capital of the country because there wasn't enough demand for the flights. And then a bunch of business owners and, you know, people mostly in the tourism industry were saying that, you know, that most of the expats who are coming to Cuenca enter the country through Guayaquil. And so that was going to hurt their business. But, you know, I mean, I think that's the perfect example of a you know, what most people would call a crony capitalist is people who, you know, open businesses who say, you know, you know, I want the ability to, you know, to be independent and to control my income and to be able to offer a product or service and, and be able to reap the, the rewards of that. You know, out of one side of their mouth, they're saying that out of the other side of their mouth, they're saying, well, you know, government, you should you should offer this service at a price that doesn't allow you to make money. So that that doesn't hurt my business, right? I mean, I mean that's yes. I mean that's um, socialism that you know business people would be for, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like yeah. I mean, I mean that. I mean that's the problem with any form of socialism it's, is it displaces the market. It doesn't matter if it's good for rich people or good for poor people, or good for this person or that person. That's the you know the ultimate result is that you have industries that pop up. Or you have market reactions that happen as a result to the meddling in the market that the government did, in this case, 
creating a service that there isn't enough demand for for it to be profitable and then you take that away and people get upset about it you know <laughs> and in the article actually made a, a, an interesting point you know they were saying that you know years ago when the roads weren't so good you know you're talking about a 5 or 6 hour drive now Waikiki Cuenca is a 3 hour drive now you know certainly you know if you're looking at Ecuador as a tourism destination that's probably a little bit too far of a drive for you know to really offer people that kind of great service but at the same time if you can't offer that service at a price that allows the uh the company to to make money without relying on taxpayer cash to be able to offer the service that very few people use i mean think about it in a country where the the average person who has a job which isn't that many people you know makes $400 a month do they really have money to pay for a 70 or 80 or $100 flight to go do some kind of tourism like sure no <laughs> very few people do so how many people are really going to be into that service how many people are are you going to be able to 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 offer that service at a price that you know that you can that allows you to keep the doors open, I would say not. Yeah, and I mean you know if if it was if there was if there wasn't the government airline, a private company would probably fly you know twice a week and probably be like you know a Friday and a Monday flight or something, or a Friday and a Sunday flight. Um, you know whatever it is, they would do that market study. But there's probably there's probably demand for a uh, you know a twice a week. Cuenca to Guayaquil flight, but uh, you know, yeah, the 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 you know daily flight. Um, I would be shocked if there was demand for, and obviously there isn't because you know that's why they were trying to cut the line. Um, I mean, it, it, you know, another point that I want to make about this too is you know we were talking a little bit earlier about you know this economic boom that happened, you know, that coincided with Rafael Correa's presidency. And you think about all these things that were built, all these airports. You know, you have, you have all these airports in Ecuador, but I can't fly from Loja on one side of the country um, to Esmeraldas on the other side of the country. Now, those are probably the two airports that are furthest away from each other. But, you know, you can't fly from one domestic airport to the other. So it's like... What are these air? What are these airports really for? If you can't provide a service at a price that can keep the doors open, and you can't get a flight that's going to get you, that's going to be the most convenient in terms of getting you from one point of the country to the other, it's like almost much to do about nothing. It's like you, you know, you have all this public spending, you invest in all these things, but you invest in these things that ultimately don't pay for themselves and end up being a cost for, you know, the government and ultimately the people. Yep. That's very well said. And that is so true. And I mean, not all, I mean, just also the level, the quality of service on Tame. I mean, I used to be like a defender of Tame and everybody used to call me crazy you know, because they were so unreliable. And I, I had never had bad experience. Oh my God. And have I had some experience? I mean, I think, I think the last four flights I booked on, on Tame, they canceled all of them. <laughs> 
<laughs> like, like you know, one was the next day, and the other one was the next day, and then the other one was the afternoon instead of the morning. And <laughs> but it was like they canceled all four of them, and they just—I mean, they just again—it's a monopoly. It's a government monopoly. So you know, there you have it. But um, the the other thing that's in you know, I'll I'll get off Tommy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the funniest thing about it is, one time I was taking a flight there, and I looked at the breakdown of the cost. Yeah. And oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's so funny about it, number one, is that taxes make up almost half of the cost of the flight, number one. And number two, the private airlines have to pay the tax to the, you know, to Tommy. So (laughs) they actually make more money off of the private airlines flight than they do own flights. Yeah, well, they lose money on their own flight. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to uh, I wanted to jump into, and you know, let me just throw this out there as well. It's so nice to have that service here. Like, like you know, we're like complaining, but it's it's so nice to be able to. I mean, in Loja, for example, there's a twice daily flight most of the time from uh, from from Loja to Guayaquil or to Quito, and like that is so nice to have. <laughs> so. Um, you know, not well, that, I mean, well, they're not. They're also not canceling that flight, right? I mean, they've talked about it. <laughs> we're talking about canceling the one from Loja to Quito. I haven't heard yeah. them talk about canceling the one to Guayaquil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, so you know, it's not all sour grapes. It is really nice to have those those airports. But yeah, to all your all your I mean, po- points are spot. On. I mean, that's a more. You know, that's a flight that is, you know, that presumably has a lot more demand. Yeah, sure. Um, I want to jump in for a second to mining rights. I don't know. I don't remember if we've touched on this in the show or not, but it's definitely worth having a quick chat about. Um, and you know, it's it's a uh, it's it's a very unfortunate um, aspect of what's happening here in Ecuador. Um, so in Ecuador, if you buy a piece of land, you don't own what's in the air. You know, what's above the land or in the ground. Uh, that includes water. So you can apply for the use of whatever you're trying to use, um, but you don't you don't own it. Um, so the uh, the the um, the way that that's played out here is that the government has given uh, mining concessions to China and to Canadian company and some other companies, and um, done and because nobody owns what's under the soil, you can actually buy mining concessions on land that you don't own and it's a through a process um you know i'm not it's not like the government just goes in and kicks people out but through a process theoretically and it has happened with some of the largest mines you can you can actually force somebody to give you permission or to allow you access to exercise your mining concession and so what's happened at this point is because about a year ago or so, um, they've kind of opened up the mining concessions. Um, what's happened now is is uh, much of the Orient is is concessioned, and really a lot, you know, even other parts of the country as well. But much of the Orient has some sort of concession um, on it, and there's very few places that it's really problem right now. But there are a few where the government actually went in with police and military and bulldozers and removed mostly indigenous populations from their land, really sad and awful. Um, 
but it's it's you know you can your people are now buying and selling land in the Orient that's uh, you know has a concession on it. So you know it's it's an interesting issue. Um, you know it's an unfortunate issue, but it's something you know worth worth mentioning to people who are looking at Ecuador potentially the Orient. What it really comes down to for me is not necessarily whether a land is has concession on it or not, whether I'd be interested in it or not. It's is there ever a risk in the future of actually having a problem? Um, there's, if what people are doing is buying gigantic concessions just to speculate, but even once you have a concession, there's a lot of steps you have to take to maintain it. So, you know, they come and they go kind of thing. But it's sort of an interesting, interesting topic that's taken place here in Ecuador. I don't know what you, uh, if you've got thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's yeah. I mean, other than the fact that it's unfortunate, not really. Um, you know, we. I think it's just important for people to take that into account because, at least, you know, in the West, we have a different conception of what it means to own land. Um, you know, when you buy a piece of property, you 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 know, for for right or wrong, you know, feel like you're buying you know everything that's above and below the property, and so you're not expecting somebody to have the right to enter your property without your knowledge or without your consent, and to be able to you know let alone to be able to extract something from it um, that takes away from you being able to enjoy what you purchased. So, um, yeah. you know, certainly it, it uh, calls for a different um, outlook on some of the things and just to go into the situation with eyes wide open. Yeah, agreed. It was interesting. I was, um, it, it is, I don't know, Darnell, you know, we've been here a long time now. Like once in a while it just hits me how effing beautiful this country is. Like, I, I, I was in Quito recently, not in Quito, but out by the airport. And, you know, it's beautiful. It's beautiful out there, especially in the air. You've got the mountains and the large fields and some places the volcanoes. And then, then I flew back to Catamayo or, you know, to Catamayo where the airport is outside of Loja. And I'm coming in and seeing the green mountains and then driving back from Catamayo to Loja and just breathing the air and it just kind of like hit me again like this country is insane it is just so beautiful and and then kind of where that sort of led me to my thinking because you know you've traveled a lot in the country I've traveled a lot in the country I think between the two of us we probably know you know all of it um the the south is just where it's at um, you know, and like, is that self-serving? Cause like I do business here. Yeah. But like, I also live here. I live here for a reason. Um, you know, the South is just where it's at. The South is just, it's just the nicest part of the country. And I say that because it's way less populated, which I just find nice. Um, e- even in the lesser populated parts of the North, there's just way more population. Um, so it's, it's even much less populated and it's just prettier for my money. I mean, the North has its really cool stuff too. Like the volcanoes are amazing. Yeah. And you know, the go- North mm-hmm. for, for, I think what it has South is there's just a lot more of the adventure tourism things to yeah, do. For sure. You know, you've got that, um, Ki- Kiwatoa, I think it is that, um, that lake that's inside a volcano, you know? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, things like that. Um, you know, all the vol- volcanoes, as you mentioned, you know, you have the highest, you know, mountain in the world if you measure it from, um, you know, from where it starts underground. I think that's Cotopaxi. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so much to there's so much to see and to do up there. Um, but in terms of living, I mean, the South is, uh, you know, you said it. It's where it's at. Yeah. 
and you know, it's not so self-serving for us in the sense that we've got properties all over Ecuador, um, some that are outside of the South for sure. You know, I love going to the coast. Um, you know, that's not in the South of Ecuador. So there's lots of things that I like to do and lots of places that I like to visit. Um, but there's nowhere else in Ecuador that I would live other than Southern Ecuador. Yeah. Agreed. Um, all right. Should we, uh, call it a night? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we, uh, why don't we wrap up? All right. Send us out of here. Okay, sure. Well, uh, again, thanks everyone for joining us. We are Abundant Living Ecuador, a real, real estate and relocation services firm based in southern Ecuador. If you want to reach us, uh, you can so toll free from the U.S. and Canada at 888-999-0948 via e or via email at info at abequador.com. That's A as in Apple, B as in boy, Ecuador.com. Also, in encourage you all to follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, uh, YouTube, LinkedIn. Uh, we on any other platforms, Jesse? Uh, probably, but you know, that's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> great. So uh, tune in next week. I think we've got a, a great guest, a um, financial advisor uh, who specializes in working with expats that's going to share with us some um, tools and strategies on how to um, – on how to invest on uh, some offshore strategies for uh, for and in uh, saving your wealth, as well as um, properly file for taxes. So we look forward to uh, for, to that show. Uh, until next time, we'll talk to you.